0: Well, I recognize that uh, sometimes in the evening services, not everybody comes with a Bible. Um, If you have your Bible with you, though, if you would, turn with me to John chapter 17. And if you would like a Bible to follow along, just raise your hand and Mark will grab some for you and bring it to you. Just throw your hand in the air. John chapter 17 is where I want to direct your attention. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I want to pray before we jump in. Our Father, Lord, as we're gathered here and considering Good Friday, and Lord, what what is being thought of and pondered and celebrated and pictured even as we come to your table this evening, Lord. God, there is nothing more important than what we are focusing on this evening. I recognize the gravity of that statement, but dear God, there, there is nothing that this world has That competes with this message and the glory attached to what we're seeing, what we are seeing has happened. So, Father, heighten our senses this evening. Not to be over familiar with this building or with this speaker or with communion or with one another's company, but dear God, I pray that in in a special way you'd make us a little uneasy with the glory and majesty of the death of Jesus. So, Father, I pray that as we look at some portions of your holy word this evening, your spirit would certainly be attached and would be stirring us for the glory of Christ. And, Father, for the better of your people, for the joy of your people, for the sincerity of their love for you, Lord, I pray and ask this. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I don't know about you, but I find it really interesting that at conversion, when I got saved, I knew a smidgen of what had happened, what had taken place. Somebody had explained the gospel to me as much as I could understand it in my, at my very young age, so on and so forth. And then for the rest of my life, and this is what has my attention, for the rest of my life, it is kind of a research project to find out just what happened. What bought, who bought me? Who died? What, what's taken place inside of me that I can say before this church every Sunday morning to some level at one way or another, I was dead and now I'm alive? What, what has happened that would change that, that would make me going the opposite direction of Jesus to in line with Christ, that I would want to follow him, that I would want to serve him? And so he starts searching the scriptures and you do Bible studies with other believers. You read Christian books. You listen to sermons in your car. You, you get this appetite to start searching the Bible. And with that appetite, you start searching the Word and you start finding out I am amazed what happened to me. And I use that on purpose, that terminology. What happened to me? God has worked on me, worked in me, brought me from death. To life. Paul says that you who were dead, he made alive. And so it's kind of conversion, illumination, and eternal amazement. At conversion, I go, wow, that's Christ. I'm a sinner. Christ died. For the penalty for my sin, now the Father is satisfied with Dan Mason because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I just scratch my head thinking, that is crazy talk. And the more I study, the more I search the Scriptures, the more I grow in my faith, the more I go, yes it is. It is amazing grace of what God has accomplished. Conversion, illumination, and eternal amazement. I am convinced... Dear beloved, that in eternity, for all eternity, we will be continually amazed at the glory of the gospel. We're still, we're still so numb with still the fight with sin in this life that we can't fully experience the amazement of what's happened to us by the Spirit of God. But at that point, when we die, when we are in his presence, we will have a brand new category, many new categories of our thinking in order to grasp the glory of what has happened. It's amazing enough, even in this life, but to think that I haven't scratched the surface of what's taken place in reference to what has happened to save my soul. And so with that... This evening, I want to just spend a little bit of time considering two words, the hour, or my hour, in the Bible. Because I, John 17, chapter 1, when Jesus says, Behold, you know, my hour has come, it's not the first time we see that. So I want to track it just a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. And picking up at verse 1, this is the wedding at Cana, the quote-unquote first miracle of Jesus. And if you look at verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there, Mary. Jesus also, also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, I've always wondered what it would have been like if I would have said this to my mom, Woman, <laughs> what does this have to do with me? Now what's interesting, what's interesting is this. He doesn't say, what's this have to do with me? I'm God. He could say that. It'd be true, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a ton of stuff he could have said here that would have fit and made sense in his mind of why he wouldn't do this miracle. Or his, at least, his, his response to his mother. But he specifically says in the text, my hour has not yet come. This isn't the time for that. Now, he, we see that eventually he does do this miracle, which I believe is still his decree, still his game plan, so on and so forth, but this passage, my hour has not yet come. This is not the time yet. What that should tell us, guys, as we track through some of these other passages this evening, is that there's a divine timeline, the Son of God is on here. Our brother Mitch, as he read from Isaiah 53, as you read that, that is not written... uh, Somewhere, someway in the the near future or far future, this may happen. Do you hear how specific the text is in Isaiah 53 about what will take place to this particular person? And as we see the, the life of Jesus Christ, the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, there's a divine timeline where He is on point every single minute. Let me show you another, another statement that he makes. John 7, verse 30. So just go a few, a few pages to your right. John chapter 7, verse 30. And I'll pick it up at 28. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. Speaking of the Father. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because he's so fast. Because his hour had not yet come. You see, this is not just Christ saying, I won't do a miracle because my hour has not yet come. This text says they couldn't arrest him because his hour had not yet come. Let me give you another one. John chapter 8, just the next chapter over, verse 20. Pick it up at 19. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Now go to John 12. John chapter 12, verse 27. Jesus says this, Now in my soul, now now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour. But, and please notice this, for this purpose I have come to this hour. Mark chapter 14 verse 35. Mark chapter 14 Verse 35. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Such an interesting text. I'm not going to get into it tonight, but just so fascinating as he comes to the Father on this subject, petitioning to remove this hour. And then John chapter 13. And again, if you don't have a Bible with you, I'm seeking to read these out loud. You can jot them down on a piece of paper. John chapter 13, verse 1. There with the disciples at the Passover, as he's going to be washing their feet later this evening, be uh, as Judas will be leaving, it begins with verse 1 in chapter 13 where he says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. And John 17, 1 and 2 As I just read a little bit ago, I'm going to read again. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And so what I see from these passages of Scripture is that there is no question about this hour in the sense of this hour is the reference to the death of the Lord Jesus, the ministry of the Lord Jesus, the specific reason he came to this earth. We miss the whole point, beloved, if we start to think that Jesus was a mere good teacher, Now, I'm sure there's things that he said that absolutely are true and right and are beneficial to our daily lives. Of course, but he says specifically it was this hour for which, the purpose for which I have come. If Jesus would have come to this earth and not died in this way, he would not be the Messiah, would not follow suit with all of the messianic prophecies. This is by divine design. And let me remind you, the one who is sovereign over all things the Omniscient One, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, is the one who is following this timeline, who's designed this timeline. This is not the best shot the Trinity could accomplish. This is the divine decree of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Godhead, the Trinity, the sovereign God has designed this, and it will come to pass. It pleased the Father to bruise the Son. Written all the way back in Isaiah 53, as if it's past tense. No, I believe with all my heart, Jesus was on track. He turns his face towards Jerusalem, as we saw last Sunday. He's coming down from the Mount of Olives. He's coming down on the donkey, exactly like Zacharias said. He's on his way down. People are cheering. They don't know what they're cheering for. I mean, they kind of do in their head, but they don't know he's on his way to the cross. The fact that he is going to go and die. And so here's a question that I want to pose, beloved, is whose hour is this? And it's fascinating to me because you can look at it from a couple, other, a couple um, different angles. Okay? So let's think about it from this angle. This is the enemy's hour. Now, if right now in your mind you're going, Dan, I, I don't know if I agree with that. Let me show you Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 53. It's a very interesting text spoken by, from the mouth of the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 22, verse 53. I'll start at 52, just give a little context. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. So interesting to me that Jesus says this to the religious leaders of the day. This is your hour and the power of darkness. You are in league with the demons on this one. You are on Satan's team in your pursuit of me. So we could say, the Roman soldiers, it's their hour. Herod and Pontius Pilate, it's their hour. We're told in Acts chapter 4, we'll look at it in just a little bit, that Herod and Pontius Pilate Pilate gathered together to come against him. The Roman soldiers, they're betting on his clothes, passing his garments back and forth, rolling dice or however they were gambling to seek to get his coat. Because Let's not tear it, let's just gamble so that way you get the whole thing. Okay, everybody's good with that, fair. It's their hour. This, this one who brought Lazarus from the dead can't even get off the tree. He's, he's pierced to the cross. He's crying out, this is our hour. He's fine. Roman soldiers are just fine. Herod and Pontius Pilate. Herod washed his hands and says, not me, I'm out. Gutless. I find no fault in this man. Crucify him, whatever you say, people. Is this Judas's hour? Judas says, you give me, you give me 30 pieces of silver, and when we go find him, I'll, I'll kiss him on the cheek. So that way you know who he is and you take him and you arrest him in that moment. For three years, Judas, you have been seeing this man, hearing this man. And you're going to put your lips to his cheek to designate who it is that they will arrest and then slaughter. This is Judas's hour. Is this the Jewish mob's hour? Crucify him, give us Barabbas. Barabbas is a murderer. You don't want Barabbas, He's a murderer. Give us Barabbas. Well, then who would we put up there? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is the one who's been healing everybody, teaching with authority. He brought Lazarus back from the dead. He has power just everywhere. He's fed thousands of people. You're putting him up against Barabbas. Are you kidding me? Give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. It's a mob's hour. Finally, it's religious leaders' hour. How many times, guys, as we, as we walk through the gospel narratives, the religious leaders, the, the narrator says, and after this time, they began to look and find when they could catch him and kill him. That's Dan paraphrase, which isn't very good. But that concept of, they were on the lookout, how are we going to kill this man? And as they saw the blood from his body run down into the dirt, it's their hour. Satan's hour. Demon's hour. Roman soldier's hour. Herod Pontius Pilate's hour. Judas's hour. Jewish mobs' hour. Religious leaders' hour. That's one angle. Let me give you another angle. This is God's hour. This is Christ's hour. Please notice how many times in the passages we read tonight Jesus refers to his hour. This is my hour. If your theology does not have room for it being both, I encourage you to search the scriptures carefully. That this is the hour of darkness accomplishing exactly what the sovereign God decreed, simultaneously. I'm not calling good evil or evil good, but what I am saying is that they were not thwarting the divine purpose of the living God. How many times does Jesus say, this is the Father's will? This is the will. My meat and my drink is to do the will of Him who sent me. It's the Son's obedience. Jesus says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay my my life down for them. And the Spirit, as He's even in the wilderness being tempted, it says, the Spirit of God came and strengthened Him. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the divine game plan. The more you are illuminating, your mind is illuminated as you study the Scripture. You're converted. Boom! I'm saved! Start studying the Scripture. Spirit of God indwells you. You're reading the Word. You're hearing the Word. You're hearing Christian songs. You're in the midst of believers. You're growing like a weed, loving the truth. And the truth is truly setting you free on a daily basis. This is the truth. And you see that there's a divine plan. God is at work. This is truly the perfect plan of redemption. Turn with me if you would. And I read this Sunday, guys. And as I read it Sunday, I thought, that's too good to not read every time we're together. So if you turn with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 27. And it's fascinating how this passage mingles the two vantage points that I just brought to your attention. Acts chapter 4, verse 27. For truly, in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, he doesn't let them off the hook. In chapter 2 of Acts, he makes reference to being crucified by people, lawless hands crucifying him. And so the sinful intent in their heart, yes, it's pure, it's real, sinful heart that they will pay for as they come and they crucify him. But simultaneously, the divine being, his plan is carried out to the T. There's one more angle I want to just bring to your attention, and then we want to serve the Lord's Supper to you. In a very real sense, it's my hour. The enemy's hour, yeah, they thought they were victorious. It's the Father's hour, it's the Son's hour, Spirit's hour, Almighty God, perfectly His hour. But beloved, at the exact same time, that's Dan Mason's hour. As the Son is crushed, He's crushed for my sake. This is why in Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I have union with the Son of God. When He was crucified on the cross, that's my hour. Was I there? No. Not in person, not at that point in human history. But theologically, that is the hour in which the Son of God paid the penalty for my sin. As He was crushed by the Father... As he was crushed by the sinful heart of man, he was also crushed because of the sin of some guy who grew up in Spokane, Washington, and has sinned and is hell bound apart from that hour. So, in a very real sense, That's our hour. And as we do turn to the Lord's Supper, I I have to ask, I have to ask you, is that your hour? When Christ was crucified, was he crucified on your behalf? And is his righteousness yours? Has his sin been placed upon him? Your sin been placed upon him. His righteousness placed upon you. Has the great transaction happened in your life? Are you converted? Are you being illuminated? And do you have the eternal amazement that's just kicking off in this life? I pray with all my heart, beloved, that when the Son of God in the flesh was pierced to a tree and he cried, it is finished That hour means everything to you. Now, the beauty of this, and I don't want to go here because it's planned for Sunday, but there's another hour because this one who died did not stay that way. And I tell you, year in, year out, preaching... Good Friday services and Easter Sunday services. I remember when I first started as a pastor thinking, I'm going to lose, figure out what to say. Because I'll do, you know, a really good sermon right when I start and then just preach that for the rest of my career (laughs) and my life. It has been amazing to me, and I mean this with all my heart, not amazing, but just it has freshly been on my mind each time this comes around, my heart is freshly moved in a new way, piercing my eyes into this concept of the resurrected Christ. And the salvation that is mine. So this evening, if Dan Mason, I hope not, but if Dan Mason does not make it home after this service, joy inexpressible is my very next thought and sight because of the death of Jesus Christ, because of that hour. I pray with all my heart, beloved, this is your, your hour. Let me pray. Our Father...